May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what each of us needs to hear. A mom and her five-year-old son were putting cookies out for Santa on Christmas Eve, and mom accidentally dropped one of the cookies on the floor. She picked it up, and as she did, she said, no problem, and she put it back on the plate for Santa. And her son, her, her son said, you can't do that. And she said, why not? Santa will never know the difference. Her son said, well, so you're telling me he knows if I've been bad or good, but he doesn't know that you dropped his cookie on the floor? <laughs> good point. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. It says in that song, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so you better be good, for goodness sake. Us parents love the idea, don't we, when our kids are small. Love the idea that for weeks leading up to Christmas, maybe, just maybe, there's some hope that our kids might behave. Because... Santa is coming, and they know that if they're naughty, they might not get their guesses this year. But we adults sometimes have a sort of a Santa Claus philosophy of our own, I think, too, don't we? You better behave yourself, because after all, God is everywhere. God is watching you. God knows what you're doing. He sees you when you're sleeping. He sees you when you're awake, too. And guess what? He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good. Well, there's nothing wrong with being good. Being good to others is really the only way to live. It's really the only way to enjoy living, is what I should say. Anyone who has tried the opposite will tell you that it's a pretty miserable life and it's not a fun way to live. And if we think that we're going to be happy if we're not doing other, for other people and loving other people along the way, we find out that we were, we're only really kidding ourselves. But if the main reason for doing what's right is that we're afraid that God is going to punish us for being bad, well, I think we're probably on the wrong path. One pastor tells a story about a lady in his church who, every Sunday morning, and she's an adult, a grown adult, would get up, and right after, right as he was wrapping up, finishing his message, she would leave. And she did this every Sunday morning for a long period of time. And finally, one day, he, he, he talked to her about it and said, why is it that every Sunday morning... As I finish up the message, you leave. And she said, well, when I was 10 or 11 years old, I was at a service, and after the sermon, they sang a hymn, and they sang, and they sang, and people started going through the congregation, she said, and the minister came down and took me by the hand and said, little girl, do you want to go to hell? And she said, he scared me so bad that day. So I leave before all that stuff starts. 
We can understand why she wanted to get out of, here, out of there in a hurry. I sure would want to, too. What a way, what a scary way. What an unnecessarily scary way to share the gospel. Some people have taken the good news of the love of God and have turned it into bad news. I read about a delightful young lady who quit going to church years ago because the church she was a, a member of, she says, was such a killjoy. She said some of the deacons would sneak into high school dances and would write down the names of the people that they saw there who were members of their church and who had the audacity to be out there sinning and dancing with other people. And they would bring, the deacons would bring that list of names back to the pastor, and the pastor would call them out from the pulpit on Sunday morning for their sin that they had committed the night before. Well, no wonder this young lady quit going to church. Those deacons had turned the good news into bad news. They changed the gospel into something different than what God ever intended. Let me tell you another story that has a much better ending. It's about a 14-year-old high school freshman whose name was Larry, oddly enough. School was dismissed early for a teacher's meeting one day. Larry knew that his parents were both at work, and they were getting out of school early. So Larry conveniently forgot to tell his parents about the early dismissal. And he arranged to bring his girlfriend over to his house after school. Well, they weren't exactly planning to study. Well, when they got to Larry's house, his next-door neighbor, whose name was Mrs. Lewis, was out in her yard working, and she saw them. And she said, well, you're home awfully early from school today, aren't you, Larry? And Larry said, yes, ma'am. And then he made up a lame story about how he and his girlfriend came to the house to study algebra. And then she said, oh, okay, does, does your, your mom know that you're home early? Uh, do, do you want me to give her a call at work and let her know that you're home? And at that point, Larry says, I gave up. I said, no thanks, I'll go inside and I'll, I'll give her a call myself while Kathy sits here on the porch. Now you may think, what a nosy neighbor. That Mrs. Lewis. What a busybody. But there was an older and a day when an older and wiser Larry had this to say about that experience. He said, You know what? There were many times in my life when I was a kid and a young man when I'm glad that Mrs. Lewis was next door. She was, and I'm glad that she was outside that particular day. I was making a choice that probably wasn't the best choice. And I know, looking back, that Mrs. Lewis was always looking out for me. She cared about me. At some, in our, some time in our lives, we all need a Mrs. Lewis, don't we? There are times when not only in our younger years, but let's face it, there are times all throughout all our lives when we need a Mrs. Lewis to remind us, to guide us. And John the Baptist is one of our Mrs. Lewis's, I believe. 
reminding us that we too are vulnerable to temptation. That we too, even though we're all grown up and know better, can still at times do some things that are not so smart. Let me explain what I mean by that. I don't know what Mrs. Lewis looked like, but I'm sure that she wouldn't look anything like John the Baptist did. John was a pretty rugged, haggard-looking guy by the sound of it. He lived and he preached in the wilderness. He had, I'll bet, a wild beard. Chances are he probably didn't smell too good. His clothes were just a cloak made from camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, the scripture says. And his diet, oh my lanta. Did you hear what Arnie read that he eat he ate? Who remembers what 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 he Yeah, locusts. Yeah, we're talking about the same locusts, you know, the, the yeah, locusts and wild honey. That sounds like a delicious diet. Well, I don't know about the nutritional value of that diet. We've been trying to keep an eye on what we eat at my house these days, but um I wouldn't have a weight problem if that was the only thing on the menu for me, that's for sure. It also tells us that uh, he was uh, a little bit on the rash, uh, tell it like it is, side. And I think that probably it would be easy to write a, write, for us to write off John as a crazy, eccentric guy. But if we did, we would be wrong. There was a purpose for his life. John the Baptist was, in fact, I would dare say, one of the most important people talked about and written about in the New Testament. His parents were Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they were both very important people. They were members of the priestly tribe of Aaron. In other words, John was a preacher's kid, and, and his mother, Elizabeth, was that same Elizabeth that we read about, who was a relative of Mary, Jesus' mother. That made John a, a, a cousin of our Lord. And remember, the scriptures tell us that his birth was announced by the angel Gabriel, just like Jesus' birth was. Talk about good breeding. He, too, was a miracle baby. He was born to a woman who was well beyond her childbearing years. John the Baptist was the perfect prophet, the perfect choice to come and to prepare the way for that coming Jesus. There's a 400-year gap between the Old Testament in the New Testament. There's a 400-year period of time where the voice of God was not heard by any of the prophets. The final voice at the end of the New Testament was the voice of the prophet Malachi. And Malachi, when he was prophesying and telling the people what was going to come, he said, I give you a promise. A Messiah is coming. But first, 
there will be a forerunner. One will come before him. He wrote these words. I will send the prophet Elijah to you. That forerunner was going to be John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew the scriptures. John the Baptist knew his role. Every good Jew knew that before the Messiah came, a prophet like Elijah, one who was like Elijah, would come. And John was that prophet. Guess how the prophet Elijah dressed, by the way. How do you think he dressed? The same way John the Baptist dressed. He wore a cloak made from camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Sounds familiar? John knew how to get the attention of people. Dressing like Elijah was one good way to do that. Working, doing the same kind of work that Elijah had done was another. People flocked to see this eccentric, crazy man. They came out of Jerusalem and all of Judea to hear his preaching. Multitudes responded to his message as he shared God's word on the banks of the Jordan River. It was a big time. His was the voice crying in the wilderness, that promised voice calling people to repent, to be baptized, and people responded. Many, many people responded. Why should they repent and be baptized? To prepare themselves for the one who was coming after him. To prepare themselves for the coming of their Lord. That's what Advent's about, folks. That's what we talk about every week this month of December. Preparing for the coming of our Lord. He said that he was not even worthy of the one who was coming after him. John the Baptist said, not even worthy to, to untie the straps of his sandals. There's much more that I could tell you about John the Baptist. Much more that we can learn from him. He was a remarkable man who, like his Lord, gave his life for his convictions. He summed up, I should say Jesus summed up John's life like this. Jesus said, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty high praise coming from the Lord Jesus. But let's focus on John's basic message this morning. He was the voice, the voice crying out in the wilderness, calling people to repent and to be baptized. And that's why I call him our Mrs. Lewis. Why did he tell the people to repent? And why do we need to repent as part of our preparation for Christmas? Because God loves it when we have pure hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, for they shall see God. Sometimes we have a mistaken understanding, I think, of repentance. We think that God doesn't want us to have any fun in this life. And so God allows our world to be filled with temptations for all these bad things that we shouldn't do. 
And then he waits for us to give in to those temptations so that he can zap us. And one day we can stand before him in judgment. And he can tell us all the bad things we did. And friends, nothing could be further from the truth. I promise you from my understanding of the scriptures that God will never hold one thing in this world that you did wrong against you, ever. So don't ever believe it when you hear it preached. We need to understand what sin is. Sin is anything that hurts other people. Sin is anything that threatens to break up families. Sin is anything that threatens people with addiction. Sin is anything that causes people years and years of regret. Sin is anything that causes us to feel ashamed. Sin is anything that comes between me and God. That's what sin is. And so John the Baptist, our Mrs. Lewis, comes to us this morning asking if there's anything in our life, big or small, that could cause us or someone we love serious or even minor pain. And if so, then it's a time to make a new start during this Advent season. God wants us to have the kind of life that is filled with peace and joy and healthy relationships with him and with other people. This is possible when we ask God for forgiveness and ask him to give us pure hearts. There's an old story about two Bible students who are walking around along the street in what is called the Whitechapel District of London, which is a section of London where old and used clothing is sold. And one of the students said to the other, as he pointed to a suit of clothes hanging on a rack, wow, that's a really fitting illustration. The sign on the suit said this, greatly, or I'm sorry, slightly soiled, greatly reduced in price. Some of us are wearing a sign like that this Advent season. Slightly soiled, greatly reduced in price. We th might think of ourselves as being worth something less because of something we've done or something we haven't done in this life. But it's not true. We are valuable to our God regardless of any of those things. And it's not too late. Let's listen to the voice of John the Baptist this Advent season or the voice of our Mrs. Lewis. Let's repent. Get it right with God. Repent just means turn away. Determine not to do it anymore. Let's get our heart ready as we get ready for Jesus this Advent season. Amen.